when it comes to food, Chicago has it and excited, you know, our next guest. He is on his way up. Dave Hammond is a guy I've known a very, very long time, and he has taken that deep dive into Chicago's indigenous delicacies. Jeff, you're a big food guy. Oh, yeah. So are there, you know, I always say you can spin the globe, put your finger anywhere, and you'll find people doing it at a high level here in Chicago. But there are some things on the food side that are from Chicago. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, Malort, you can't go around with Malort. I mean, it's not food, but it's something you drink. Isn't going with Malort going wrong? Yeah, no, 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 never, no. never. I love Malort, you know? Pia Sport, drink Malort. Pia Sport, right? It does rhyme. Do you have, as, as Dave Hammond gets himself, uh, best-selling author Dave Hammond of Made in Chicago Stories Behind 30 Great Hometown Bites, Monica and his co-author as well. Um, do you have some favorites? Jeff, that you think of as like, okay, well, these you can only get this in Chicago. I mean, we were talking pizza earlier, and I think the tavern style done right. You can only really get it in Chicago that way. But if I really, I mean, it sounds crazy, but a falafel, like there's so much good falafel in this town. I know no one thinks about it, but I'm a big, I'm not a big meat guy, so I'm a big veggie guy. So okay. that's where my my focus is. I love a good falafel, and I can't tell you, like, there's just so many good places here. Well, there is, of, of course, on the food side, but I don't know if falafel is like was originated <laughs> no. here in Chicago. But who knows? There are some things that we just know and love. And you think that they are just absolutely everywhere. You think that uh, you know, everybody's got like lime green electric, you know, pickle relish. They don't, right? And Dave Hammond, our good friend, is hey, in good studio. to be here at last. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, you made it. You made it. So we have great food. We don't always have the most efficient public transportation, and so I know that you're you're going to rant a little bit on the uh, CTA. Yeah, it, this will be an obscenity-free rant. Uh, although I'm tempted, I'll tell you, I'm tempted. It's a uh, getting to the point where one can't rely on the cta to be on time and i'm not talking about buses i'm talking about trains with buses i get it in the winter there's snow and traffic is terrible so buses are going to get slowed down we live one stop away from where the green line starts on harlem avenue it starts 15 minutes late that means it's going to be 15 minutes late everywhere along the line unless they speed up and the guy today was not going anywhere near the limit on the hill so what do you think was it was it an equipment because it isn't weather related it's a very nice day outside it's always dane always and yes i understand equipment goes down of course but it's i'm not exaggerating when i say it's at least 90 percent of the time that the train is late there have been times when i'm waiting for the train at ridgeland where i get on five minutes 10 minutes 15 minutes like i'm gonna be late I leave, I go downstairs, I call an Uber, and take an Uber to where I'm going. It's ridiculous. Um, yeah, it's, I, I don't get it. And, and Mayor Johnson, I'll tell you, I, I live in Cook County, but not in Chicago. You would have my vote guaranteed in the next election if you, like Mussolini, get the trains running on time in Chicago. Because they're not right now. And, and that, that's, I mean, I work at home most of the time, so it's less of a problem for me. Maybe if I worked, if I came downtown every day, I'd figure out, well, you have to plan to leave 45 minutes before departure time, because the train might be early. It might be very late. You just don't know. When you've had a bad day, or you've had maybe some challenges on the transportation side, or who knows what comes up, you know, on, on any given day. One way to kind of decompress and enjoy yourself is over a good meal, right? <laughs> a good transition, <laughs> right? Okay, so, I'm ready to move on, yeah. <laughs> so think about this. We talked about it before you got in, and as you sat down, there are some things that are very popular, very well-known 
in Chicago that a lot of people just think, oh, they must be everywhere. They're great. Well, they aren't. And there's some things that are only here and people could not tell you the backstory. So for the book, you know, we're going to talk about it. It's, it's doing great. So congratulations. Oh, yeah. I'm on, very pleased on all the success of the book made in Chicago stories behind 30 great hometown bites. I remember talking with you when it was just an idea, yeah. when it was just a sparkle mm-hmm. uh, in your taste buds, right? You know, and then <laughs> now here it is fully realized and people are absolutely loving it. So the inspiration. So what was the inspiration for writing it? Well, what I wanted to do, and and I think Monica probably shares this, is that we wanted to throw a light on some of the Chicago foods and food makers that don't get all the limelight. When people talk about food in Chicago in 2023, what they're frequently talking about are north side restaurants run by, let's call them celebrity chefs, and I mean, and I use that term neutrally, chefs who've won a beard award or two, restaurants that have may a have, television show. Yeah. Um, who, hey, when do them have radio shows yet? Undoubtedly, there's some. Um, Maybe an occasional segment. <laughs> Not a show. Um, yeah, so the people know the celebrity chefs in Chicago uh, from Trotter on down, rest in peace, but all the other, uh, Stephanie Izard and others, those are people, names that people know, I would say pretty much all over the United States. But there are lots of little mom and pop places on the south side where people eat, and the south side and to a lesser extent on the north side, although a lot of the places we cover are southerly. Um, that don't get any attention at all, that people might not even know exists. And exist. And incidentally, Dan, you were saying that uh, people in Chicago may think of some foods like the uh, the radioactive-looking relish on hot dogs and so on, <laughs> have been around, uh, pe- that people everywhere must know about Italian beef, right? Well, that's not so. There are also a lot of dishes around the country and even internationally that people may not know originated in Chicago, like chicken Vesuvio, um, What's called used to be called Chicago Mix, but now must be called Garrett's Mix. Garrett's popcorn stores are in Shanghai, they're in Singapore, they're in Hong Kong, they're in the United Arab Emirates. And they used to call that Chicago Mix, what they sold, but they can't do that anymore because a company in Minnesota, these Minnesotans, I'll tell you. Oh, a thousand lakes and a lot of problems. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they bought the trademark out from under Garrett's. They, Garrett's. Now, this uh, Garrett should have been a little more attentive <laughs> to their business here, but they called the, this Chicago mix what they were selling the mix of caramel corn and cheddar corn, and they allowed it, they allowed they, they never they never marked the uh, name Chicago mix. So this company Candyland in Minneapolis, Minnesota said, "We'll buy it. We'll call what we're making Chicago mix," and they enforce that trademark. You cannot make a popcorn now and call it Chicago mix, Chicago style, shy style, or any variation thereof. It's illegal. Now, is it just a coincidence, or is it true to basically that same combination of flavors on the popcorn side? Are they trying to make really their own version of? Well, actually, they did do a slight variation. The Minnesota guys, the Candyland, did a slight variation. They have the caramel corn, they have the cheddar corn, then they added regular old white popcorn to the mix, which is not a terrible idea. I mean, I think the uh, the cheddar and the caramel corn can get a little intense after a while. Pretty sweet. So maybe, maybe, I've never had the Candyland version. Maybe uh, it's a good idea to kind of mellow it out with a little neutral 
corn in there. We're going to talk about that and so many more. All of those other 30. We may not get to all 30, but we're going to highlight those. 312-981-7200. If you have your thoughts on some of your favorite Chicago indigenous delicacies, you can share them with uh, David Hammond in studio with us until 7. But right now, it's time for Traffic and Weather with Ron Brown. In studio until that time is our good friend uh, David Hammond. He is the uh, dining and drinking editor for New City and also best-selling author. Right? Have you started to like? Have you have Carolyn? She has to refer to you as <laughs> Mister, as, as Sir, as the author. Uh, no, we are del- this book uh, we wrote. Uh, Monica Eng, Monica Eng, and I wrote uh, "Made in Chicago: uh, Thirty Stories Behind thir- uh, Stories Behind Thirty Great Hometown Bites." Has been it went into its second printing after about three weeks, which sh- I. I- to say it shocked me makes it sound like I didn't think it would be <laughs> enjoyed well, very but much. But I think you had healthy expectations of like, well, you never know how, you don't know how this is going to go. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, the book was supposed to come out at Christmas time, and we were kind of disappointed that it didn't because Christmas is a big book. You know, people buy books as gifts. Um, but summer is really the time for a lot of the foods we're talking about here because some of these places don't have indoor anything. Right. <laughs> I mean, aside from the chef, he's inside, he's passing stuff through the window. So summer might be the best possible time for this book. And people are buying like five and six copies because they want to give them as gifts, you know, to their son, daughter, who, you know, lives in Chicago and now they're out of state or whatever, which is awesome. I mean, they think enough of it to it, give it to family. It's kind of like an informational passport to the flavors of Chicago. And when we had Joe Aurelio on a little bit earlier in the program and then, you know, Carmen, Steve and everybody, he like chimed in with like, well, you got to try this pizza or what about that pizza? I mean, Chicago... I think is everybody likes food. Obviously, you need it to stay alive. But I think Chicago is just it's just more like a passionate and excited about certain things. Right. And so people are excited to see some of their favorites highlighted. And I think that there is a lot of popularity. Pizza is very popular in Chicago. I'm not quite sure why that is. It's popular everywhere. It's undoubtedly the most popular ethnic food uh, in the country. It could be that there are a lot of us Italians in Chicago. You know, a lot of us immigrated here, including my grandfather, my grandmother. Um, so pizza is like second nature to Italians, and, 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 and we're here, and, we're, and people find that it is delicious. <laughs> so when you – and you guys have been doing these sort of town hall – kind of meet like whether it's library or different events or bookstores and, and you and monica kind of do the q a where people are they're excited about the book in general so talk a little bit about some of the things that have stood out in a book that is doing very well but maybe some of the things you get asked about most one thing i was surprised isn't coming up is people saying yeah you know the way you describe the history of pizza i gotta disagree with you and <laughs> I, I was waiting for that to happen and so far the only person who has disagreed with us publicly about something we put in the book is chris Pacelli, who will be <laughs> later today <laughs> you'll get to talk to him in person oh, not love, in person but he's a, he, uh, he's a wonderful guy he, he's the one of the most colorful characters we interviewed for the book and when i'm doing readings and he's not there to do this himself i read from his portion like a paragraph out of his portion of the book just because it's so chicago he talks about his uh his uncle you know spent a little time in jail gets out of jail doing this and that and uh you know somebody said uh, hey what 
why don't we start a bookie joint? And so he goes, yeah, well, I'll do, I'll do beef. I'll sell beef as a front, and you can gamble in back. And and according to Chris, and I'm sure he'll go on about this, um, this was really the genesis of a lot of Chicago Italian beef places. They started as gambling operations with beef as a front. Uh, so, yeah, so he, he kind of disagreed with me. I thought there'd be more of that because Chicagoans are passionate about their food. No, deep dish is best. Damn it, no, tavern style is best. No, I like stuffed and so on well people can have their opinions of what it is that they like best but it's great to see that people are excited about and that you're filling a niche where people just weren't they didn't have that backstory it took you guys investigative intrepid reporters right to go out there and and dig it out so did you know everything that you were going to cover you got 30 of them in here or were there some that you know through your process on some of those ones that were maybe more obvious to you like oh my gosh i didn't even think about this we got i had it well, yes, there are some that we actually got a little bit of heat from our friend Louisa Chu at the Tribune for not including. Atomic Cake, which is a, a South Side specialty. And the reason we didn't include it, Dane, is I was kind of sticking to a principle that the foods we cover in the book have to be served at more than one place. It can't be just like a restaurant special. Somebody it can't be had, like Rainbow Cone or something. Oh, it can't be like chocolate-covered frog legs or something that's served oh, at right, one right. Off weirdo place that no one... <laughs> uh, they have to be things... That sounds well, awful. It <laughs> doesn't... Yeah. Well, Rainbow Cone is... Uh, now it's actually served at more than one location. It used to be just the place in Beverly. Yeah, but they're served at Rainbow Cones. They're all served at Rainbow right. Cones. You're quite right. That's on the line. Atomic Cake, however, I only found it one place. Now it's offered at two or three different places. And it's a it's a layer of cake. There's like a chocolate layer and a strawberry layer. Uh, it's I like it well enough. The thing is, you kind of have to buy a cake to enjoy it. I mean, unlike some of these other things, you know, it's like have a... Have a hot dog. It's about you know two fifty or whatever. Um, so yeah, we didn't include that. There are a few other foods that people have recommended. Frequently though, the foods they're recommending are they're one offs. You know their favorite their favorite restaurant serves this thing. Well, we can't we can't really do that. Yeah. We, we can only focus on foods that are known at more than one place. What I love about the things that you, you like a shrimp dijon we were talking about you know off there chicken Vesuvio that you mentioned a little bit earlier are things that have become. Like hits, you know, and, things that are like, you know, that people anywhere would know and enjoy. And it's great to see that it all started here. Not only hits, but yes, they've they've given the technique that's used for like shrimp de jong is used on salmon. So you can have a salmon de jong or a cod de jong uh, or, or a pork chop Vesuvio or a steak Vesuvio. Uh, that's pork chops and steaks that are cooked in the style of chicken Vesuvio, which usually means with potatoes, garlic, wine, olive oil, Baked. I mean, it could hardly be simpler. Um, incidentally, I got to th- mention that last night I had the best chicken Vesuvio I ever had at a place called Fioretta that just opened uh, off Fulton Street Market. Uh, it's owned by the Dynamic Hospitality guys. They do prime inv- provisions and other stuff. It was so cool. And for potatoes, what I, I said to the waitress, I said, are there potatoes in here? Because I didn't see them. And she said, oh, yes. What they did was... They're fingerling potatoes, which oh, are like, you know, have the diameter yeah. of, but they're sliced and turned into potato chips. So you have like these oh. tiny little microscopic potato chips on what I thought was about as perfect a baked chicken as I've ever had. That sounds really it was, good. It was wonderful. You know, and, and outside of, let's say, that situation that you described with Garrett's Popcorn, where they're trying to make it, and people are trying to be, you know, kind of protective and, and keep what it is that they've got. No one else is allowed to make it. Have you found that, you know, in some of these situations that maybe where it started or maybe enough time has passed where it's just like hey we're just making it it's good where they're like you know what 
uh, hey, we came up with it, but that's really good. Uh, I've never heard anyone admit that, <laughs> that an upstart version is better than theirs. Hey, you know, a fun story, though, about Garrett's mix, which is what we used to call Chicago mix, which is the blend of caramel corn and cheddar corn, may have been popularized by Gene Siskel, film critic uh, for the Chicago Sun-Times. He said he wrote a column in, like, 86 saying, uh, I always bring my own popcorn to movie theaters because I think it's be- I can get better stuff outside the theater than inside the theater. Okay, fine. So he said, I was at Garrett's Popcorn, and I saw a guy doing this. And Bear with me. This is going to sound disgusting, but it's really delicious. He was mixing equal quantities, a, a, a civilian, not a guy behind the counter, but a guy, a customer at Garrett's, was mixing equal quantities of caramel corn and cheese corn. And Gene Siskel said, It was fantastic. It had that mix of savory and sweet. It was just delicious. Shortly after that, Garrett started selling Chicago mix. It's a great idea. Now, it wasn't Gene Siskel's idea or apparently Garrett's. It was that unknown civilian out there who decided he wanted to mix those two flavors together, and they turned out delicious. you got to always be listening, right? You never know what's that next really great thing that could happen. When we come back, we're going to talk with Dave Hammond. Actually, we're going to have Dr. Barbecue Ray, Dr. Barbecue Lampy is going to give us a call and talk a little bit about his stuff. He's coming back to Chicago. You guys can kind of share some of your stories of that uh, when we come back. Right now is uh, a quick break. It's Dane here on 720 WGN. It is Dane here with you until 7 p.m. David Hammond, uh, author and uh, dining drinking editor for New City is in here as well. And then on the line, you heard the little tinkling. That is the the sound of the uh, Dr. Barbecue rubs and spices as they sprinkle onto your <laughs> your Memorial Day delicacies. And the man is on the line, Barbecue Hall of Famer, author, and Chicago's very own, the one and only Ray Lampy, Dr. Barbecue. Ray, welcome to your station. Welcome to your day. Man, what an intro. It's great to hear you, Dane, and always great to be on WGN. I feel like... WGN's been part of my life the whole darn life. You know, but this is like, you know, for a leprechaun, it's St. Patrick's Day, <laughs> for, you know, I don't know, Cupid, right? It's Valentine's. This is, you know, and obviously the main and, and overarching reason for the day is to recognize, respect, and, and support the men and women in uniform that have made the, the ultimate sacrifice. But the way we celebrate is with food, and oftentimes it's in the backyard, oftentimes it's barbecue. And so do you feel like this is one of those kind of like, you know, showtime kind of days for yeah, Dr. Barbecue? Like, yeah, for barbecue people, it is the beginning of our triple crown. You know, we got this and then we got the 4th of July and, of course, Labor Day. Uh, and for you Chicagoans, it's the beginning, official beginning of summer. And down here, it's like the end of our good time of weather for the year, but we still celebrate. It's okay. So, yeah, Ray bailed out on us, you know, for good reason, obviously. You know, the weather, it can get, well, it can get terrible, right? And so you you went to Florida, but you still have all of that Chicago street cred and affinity for a lot of the things in Chicago. And David Hammond is in in studio, too. I wanted to ask you while we've got him, too. So he's got a best-selling book called Made in Chicago 30. You know, it's like the indigenous delicacies of Chicago. Do you have anything, Ray? that you know of that's a chicago thing outside of the italian beef which is pretty obvious that that you can only get in chicago that you love well i did but see none of it's secret anymore Uh. i was a chicago truck driver for 25 years in all the neighborhoods of chicago and i was a foodie you know before it was a thing before we had the internet i had to actually 
like learn about Rickabennies from another truck driver. And then there was Sarah's. David, you remember Sarah's that was before Rickabennies? I rem- I remember reading about Sarah's that closed a little bit before I before I rose to food consciousness. So I had never uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, far as really aware of food. I actually you know. did go to Sarah's, and wow. so you know. Yeah, tell me about tell me about Sarah's. Well, I heard it was started in a garage or something. Well, when I went, yeah, it sure seemed like it. It, it I don't, you know, was, I only went once with my another truck driver, and yeah, it was a weird place. Like, I'm not surprised it didn't last that much longer, but, but it's just, you know, well, you got to throw one in to to try and trump everybody if you can. That's the foodie way, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when I was saying, you know, to David, I was letting him know that you were going to be on, and obviously, long time. Friends, but your relationship with barbecue is really at its sort of genesis point, at least on the competition side, right? And the the Mike Royko, the nineteen eighty two Rib Fest, right, that happened here. And uh, and David has a longtime newspaper guy. You know that was the convergence of oh, yeah. you know barbecue, barbecue fans, of course, your career, right, and writing. Well, it it was just I don't know if you were asking me or David, but I'll jump in. It was it was the beginning. You know, we did. It was hard to find those kind of events back then. So when you found one and 400 people showed up along with a whole lot of Chicago celebrities, I, I remember all the news people were there, not really working just because they had heard about this event. And, and for me, it was just, I, I really was a food guy. I ate in every neighborhood. And I had found my people. All of a sudden, I found these people who were cooking big pieces of meat and staying up for hours, you know, next to the fire. And, and it, there was generally a cooler of beer involved. So, And it probably is true for a lot of people because I always say Chicago is not really a barbecue town. Chicago, we had good barbecue, but it was on the south side because those guys had come from the south. Most of Chicago had come from Ellis Island, so we didn't really have barbecue. So I think that was like the first uh, uh, real barbecue event in chicago for a lot of us you know we were tired of eating the uh, twin anchor ribs and nothing against them but it, <laughs> you know it wasn't the true barbecue i was looking for hey now some people think there's such a thing as a chicago style of barbecue there's a memphis style there's carolina style north and south carolina styles do you think there's a chicago style of barbecue something I that do, marks it uh, off from the others i do i i think it's and it's become it's become pretty uh, well discussed among a lot of us these days, and it involves the aquarium smoker, mm-hmm. which were made in Chicago, and really, I mean, you find them. There's, one, I know, there's some in Memphis and stuff now, but it's really a Chicago thing, and it involved rib tips, were mm-hmm. which were probably because of the stockyards, you know, very available, and even ribs, really, you know, if you go way back, the ribs weren't very expensive, so. Uh, yeah, that would be, you know, and to me, the sh- classic Chicago plate of barbecue is at Lem's. You get some French fries, you get some rib tips, maybe a hot link, and some of that, like, thin, spicy uh, Lem's barbecue sauce. I, if you gave me that, I'd know I was in Chicago. Or maybe it's even mild sauce, right, at Lem's? Kind of a cross yeah, between barbecue Yeah, same thing, right, the milder version. Very, very well, close to. Now, you know, the rib let's tips. Let's talk about open pit. I mean, open uh-huh. pit is a, absolutely a Chicago thing. And sweet baby Ray's, even. He's yes, we, Dave Raymond, our good friend, Dane's mm-hmm. friend. He mm-hmm. just got not. He's inducted now into the Barbecue yeah. Hall of Fame. Well deserved. Well deserved. 
you know, Ray, we're going to, when we take a break, we're going to come back and then we're going to talk about the, the, the new spices and rubs that you have. You know, you've been a pitch man and an advocate and an ambassador for so many different things over the years. And now to be able to kind of take everything that you've taken and learned and kind of put it into your own thing is going to be great. And although, you know, the barbecue hall of fame and you, you're on television, primetime television in Canada and you're, you know, traveling the world at these fests, I think of you as kind of the world's, but also Chicago's very own. And you're going to be back here, uh, you know, coming up very soon at Wanamaker's to, to share some knowledge and some insight on the barbecue side. So you'll be back here. So we're going to get into that. So just hold tight for just a second. Right now, though, it is time for Traffic and Weather with Ron Brown. He's Dane here with you in studio along with uh, author and uh, the dining and drinking editor for New City, Dave Hammond. And on the line, excited to have Chicago's very own and the world's very own Barbecue Hall of Famer, the one and only Dr. Barbecue, Ray Lampy. Ray, welcome back. Hey, Dave. Good to see you again. So, uh, you know, off air during the commercial, Dave is like, oh, I want to ask him this. I want to ask him that. <laughs> you know, people are going to have that opportunity to do that at Wanamaker's, but this is David's opportunity. So, Dave, what do you got? Yeah, I have a question for you, Ray, regarding rib tips, which we do cover uh-huh. in our book. It's one of our chapters. Uh, Monica, mm-hmm. my co-author, was the one who happened to write that chapter, but I've had rib tips a number of times. Here's my question, and, and just for our listeners who, who may not be aware of what a rib, rib tip is, it's that little portion at the end of the rib, uh, of the spare rib, that's cut off. Now, correct me if we're wrong here, Ray, but my understanding is that little piece is cut off to make a more clean edge on the rack of ribs so it can sit on a plate with a lot, lot of jagged, uneven bones. Is is that accurate? Uh, well, yes. It, so it's actually the spare rib now. So up at the yeah. top of the hog is the back rib with the yeah. curved bone. And then the whole spare rib was the side rib with the cartilage that's like the sternum. It's on the bottom of the hog. It's like mm-hmm. his chest. Mm-hmm. All that cartilage. Now, the problem with that is it, it, when ribs were, were really cheap and nobody cared about them, we cooked whole spare ribs like that. But yeah. somebody figured out one day, if we cut the tips off, so you cut down along the top of the bone, all that cartilage that's going the wrong direction and the different meat and all that stuff gets eliminated, and you now have what we call a St. Louis cut rib. Mm-hmm. So it's just the bones but we eliminate what is called the, the rib tip. So it's really like scrap at that point till some guy in Chicago, and this is your job, David, to figure out who the guy was. Probably Lamb. Uh, Lambs. Yeah, it probably was, or he would know, frankly. Um, and and those guys just, I'm sure they were getting them for nothing or pennies mm-hmm. out of the stockyard. When whoever, Castle and Zoll was the big rib purveyor. When I was still driving a truck 30 years ago, I was in a room with, with tons and tons of rib tips that they had cut off of these and and all of a sudden the st louis cut rib was becoming a big deal and there was just a massive amount of, of rib tips around scrap so it's yeah. this weird yeah and i mean it, and it's really an awkward piece of, of to cook because there's cartilage going different directions and stuff but once you figure it out i don't know to me they taste eating they taste better than the ribs yeah well, yeah what do you think th- i'm sorry what do you think that is um, probably because they were free. <laughs> there's, okay. more, there's more fat on them, and uh, it just you know to me as a chef, the fattier part of the hog is sure. always going to be the better part. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, and also, you kind of got to get down with it. You can't you can't <laughs> eat those with a fork and knife, and you really can't even pick up a bone. You kind of just got to get no. into it and grab them and, and start gnawing on them. So I think you, you feel like you've earned it more. It, when it comes to questions, people are going to ask you about that when they get an opportunity to ask you all sorts of things at Wanamaker's. You're going to be in town doing an appearance and some other things there. We did have a caller. I remember your book, Pork, that you came out with, and when you know it became where you didn't have to like cook it to kill it kind of thing you were one of those first yeah. guys to kind of share that and the question was well, like a pork steak these have become more and more popular people are doing some cool things with it and uh, so your, your thoughts or advice on the best way to cook that well it's the classic st louis style which you know i don't i don't know that they deserve all the credit but they get it so you take the pork steak if you don't know what pork steak is it's a slice of a pork butt and there's a, a blade bone in there and it's just a big slab beautiful cuts of meat, but there's different muscles in there that cook different. So you, you put a little seasoning on it, throw it in the smoker for an hour or two until it looks pretty good. And then what they typically do in St. Louis, they, they cascade them in a pan, so half laying on each other, and then pour a bottle of Malls barbecue sauce. Uh, I mean, whatever your favorite barbecue sauce, but in St. Louis it would be Malls, M-A-U-L. And you pour that on there, cover it up, put it back in basically till they're falling apart. And um, there's nothing better. You want to barely be able to put it on your plate so it looks like a steak, but it eats like a, a pulled pork roast. And I, I don't, I haven't found a better way. You can grill them and just eat them, but they, some of the muscles would be a little chewier mm-hmm. than others. And so why not? I, I'm very much about traditional stuff like that. So I would cook them just like they do in St. Louis. Sorry, when you're in at Wanamaker's, and for the for listeners, no, it is one of the great places where you can get you know, all sorts of different rubs and sauces and, you know, the accoutrements of the barbecue world are there. They have an incredible selection and they're bringing you in. So talk a little bit about what you're going to share when you're there. Obviously the new rubs and spices, but talk about the appearance. Yeah, going to be fun. Uh, you're right about the, the rubs to me has been a project I've been putting off for years because I, I always had something good going. that was a conflict and finally I had the opportunity to do it and I'm all in, uh, there's a Chicago-style chop and steak and chop rub that I think is really good. I've found that to use for everything. There's an Italian beef rub. So the idea was to make, if you pour a half a cup of this out of the jar and mix it with three cups of water and a little olive oil, it's an it's instant Italian beef. And I'm telling you, I would consider myself an Italian beef expert. It's good. And I've got a hot chicken rub. And the one that just won the, uh, second place at the American Royal rub contest is my peach chipotle which is that's more of a traditional sweet barbecue rub uh, a little bit of peach and sweet peach and spicy chipotle but but at wanamakers i'm going to be cooking burgers so the the chicago south steak and chop rub is going to be real good the italian beef rub will be fine i suspect those are going to be the two that get used the most on burgers now there's two uh, half-hour burger classes, I think those are full, but I'll be hanging around all day in between that and and certainly available for, to see some old friends and answer any questions you got. Yeah, what are some of the questions that be? I mean, we have, have a few questions here just on sort of the history, and it's great to tap kind of your experience and kind of share some of those things with like the with with friends, you know, Dave Raymond, you know, getting in and all that. On the, I know David, you were thinking like the sauce side, like what kind of sauce do you prefer, or are you you know just like me with different pizzas? I like it all in different situations for sauces. Mm-hmm. Ray, what's your favorite? Well, yeah, I'm definitely that kind of guy. You know, whatever you put in front of me, I'm going to enjoy it for what it is. Uh, but my personal preference is pretty much no sauce. There's, ah. there's usually, there'd be two bottles in my house, a bottle of open pit 
and a bottle of Gates out of Kansas City, one of the old barbecue restaurants, and neither one gets used very often. Both bottles probably get tossed at the end of the year with, with half left in them. I, I'm just not a real barbecue sauce guy. You know, as I've learned how to smoke meat properly with, and grill it properly with seasoning, I just don't find a need for barbecue sauce. I, I'm, you know, I'm just not a fan. Hey, Ray, you know, I've noticed that people who are really into barbecue, that is, people who are either pit masters or they do a lot of cue at home, uh, tend not to use sauce. And it seems like one of the reasons why they avoid sauce is that they can assess the quality of the smoke better if there isn't sauce covering over problems. Do you feel and that? Not just the smoke, but the whole the whole overall flavor. Mm-hmm. Yes, I totally agree. Well, to me, I learned how to cook barbecue before it got so trendy. So now, now we have these things that are locked in that weren't necessarily and but i was always taught by the old guys that barbecue sauce was a condiment so Mm -hmm. it's fine go ahead and serve it on the side um and use some if you want but it didn't have anything to do with the barbecue it was just like you know it was like ketchup on a hot dog Uh, don't oh dear no one would ever do that (laughs) unless they didn't know what they were doing hey hey, ray before we let you go we've got like maybe like 40 seconds left david can i squeeze the question in for david okay yeah go I, someone down here has opened a place it called which the only place serving Chicago style fried chicken down here. What is that? Interesting. Never heard of it. I uh, think I it would be like Harold's. I mean, do they fry it in a pan like Southern style? Or yeah, that that is a new one on me, Ray. But thanks for mentioning it for our second edition. <laughs> see if we can include gonna, that. I'm going to go soon. I'll let you know. Three one two nine one seventy two hundred. Your thoughts on that? And so Ray. Just as we let you go, where can people get information for your visit to Wanamaker's coming up? Yeah, drbarbecue.com, drbbq.com. Wanamaker's has got a well-built-out. Uh, matter of fact, I'm doing their podcast again Tuesday. Um, everybody knows where Wanamaker's is in Downers Grove. We'll be there all day, Saturday, June 9th, I think it is, or the 10th, whatever that Saturday is. And then I, I actually added I'm going to go up to Backyard Barbecue and we'll met on Sunday. We don't know what we're going to do, but I'll be up there. If you're up on the north side, too, on Sunday. it's the it's Yeah, we'll have the links up at WGNRadio.com. It is the 10th. And, Ray, get back to your regularly scheduled Memorial Day. Thanks so much for everything. We'll talk to you soon. Take it easy, Ray. All right. Thanks, guys. Good talking to you. All right. When we come back, we're going to get to uh, – it's going to be Alsby. Chris Paselli is going to join us from Alsby. But right now, it is time for news from the Northwestern Medicine Newsroom.